This is the Do Better Podcast with Dr. Megan Miller and Joe Smith, launching you into the future of behavior analysis. Do Better podcast. In today's episode, we are discussing parent coaching with Adrian Bradley. This is Megan. And this is Joe. This is where we blast off to the final frontier in search of improving ourselves in the field of behavior analysis. Thank you for spending time with us. Now let us begin. All right. All right. Welcome to the Do Better podcast. And today we have Megan Miller and Adrian, who's part of BABA. Um, how is everyone doing? Great, great. I'm up north right now enjoying some nice vacation, but I'm great to be here with you guys. What? I didn't know you were on vacation. You're spending your vacation time with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was a short little snippet out of my vacation, but it's raining all oh, day. Well, that's you. perfect then. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I'm I'm good. I after our podcast today, I was supposed to go um have a day date and go on our new boat, but um I'm just gonna complain for a minute because it's supposed to rain here too. So we're not going. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no. <laughs> not the worst thing that's happened in 2020, but it's still very disappointing. No, the seasons change so fast and like in Michigan. As soon as Labor Day hits, it's winter. Yep. So like, and we get a really short summer. So it's only summer for like two, three months. And then we were dealing with COVID. So it's not like anyone got to go anywhere. Yes. <laughs> We've just been locked up for the last year, basically. <laughs> um, so I'm doing all right. Um, so it's been really interesting the past like uh, week or two just with just like personally, like there's just been a lot of things going on. So I'm looking forward to like just spending time with y'all and talking about um, just things in behavior analysis and um, just our field. So let's go ahead and get into it, Megan. All right. Sounds good. So I know we already asked how everyone was doing and said we have an amazing guest, Adrian, with us. So I'm just going to tell you all a little bit about Adrian. She's a BCBA who lives in Detroit, Michigan, and she's the president of the Black Applied, well, well, Black Applied Behavior Analyst, Inc., and she co-hosts the Shades of ABA podcast, uh, which is done in coordination with BABA. Um, besides loving every episode of that podcast so far, I recently attended a webinar that Adrian did on parent coaching, and I was thrilled when she agreed to hop on the podcast with us to discuss the topic more. Adrian, that's just like a little short introduction. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I also teach at a local university in their ABA program in both the BCBA and BCABA course sequences. So I love teaching. I love uplifting 
new BCBAs or BCABAs or RBTs. That's kind of like my own little, little passion there. Um, I am currently also a clinical director for Autism Center out here and work for Behavior Frontiers. Um, and I, I love what I do. I don't think I could see myself doing anything else. Um, but also a little snippet. So a lot of people think that Shades of ABA and BABA are like connected. But yeah, I thought they What? Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, yeah, we're a completely separate entity. Like anything that I say on the Shades podcast has absolutely nothing to do with Baba. We talk about Baba and it intertwines because we're all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but it's actually two separate um, entities. Well, I'll have to make sure to update that when I share with people from now on. <laughs> no, people, get, people say that all the time, so then I just correct them um, because they, they think that it's the same. Um, but it's it's also me and Tiana, who are also the president and the vice president of BABA, so yes. I see that people think it's like connected and the same thing, but um, we talk about totally different things there. What university are you teaching at? I teach at Wayne State University. Okay. It's in uh, downtown Detroit. I was there one time um, when I did debate in undergrad. They always hosted a tournament every year. So I always loved, like, the, the um, students from Wayne State were our favorite. Like, every, because when you go to debate tournaments, there's either you become friends with people, even though you're competing against them, or people okay. just hate each other. <laughs> like, these, like, rivalries. So you have like your people that you're like, Oh yes, Wayne state's here this time. And then you have like other universities where you're like, Oh, <laughs> we have to see those people. And we were always like such good friends with all the, the people from Wayne state. It was so much fun. Yeah, I was telling Joe that because uh, no one ever comes to Detroit, like they're just like, "Ooh, Detroit!" <laughs> and I'm like, "I can't wait." I'm praying and hoping and crossing our fingers and knocking on wood we can have our Baba conference because um, it'll be in Detroit. And I just want everyone to come and just see how great the city is, and it's totally different than even probably when you were here. Yeah, um, I'm sure because that was like 15 years, at least 15 years ago when um, I was there. Yeah, so it would have to be. You're going to um, be surprised. <laughs> my, my association with it isn't, doesn't have anything to do with Detroit. It's just like Michigan and being an Michigan Ohio State fan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot you would tell me. This might be a totally different podcast, Joe. I'm sorry. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. So I got a question. Are you a Michigan State fan? A Michigan no, State University, or Mer University of Michigan. <sighs> I know. All right. <laughs> wow, I it's like, all, it's all right. We should I'll just stop right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. Joe, our college football, but we can dive in. The only reason we can record today is because it's not happening. So, right. Yeah. Joe's yeah. a Penn State fan, so you know. Yeah, yeah, so I just think that between the three of us, there's just nothing we have in common. <laughs> but here's the interesting thing, like between the three of us, like Megan, I didn't know this about you, but you were in the debate club. I was in the debate club too. No wonder why we get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. My dad always said that I should have been a lawyer. I thought I was going to be and then I switched. So... Although when I was getting my PhD, we had to take special ed law and the professor was like, so we, 
are you going to go into law then? And I was like, no, <laughs> my husband <laughs> would kill me if I was like, and now, <laughs> now that I have this PhD, I'm going to go back to law school. So anyway, um, well, that was uh, really interesting to hear. I love the mixture of um, having the clinical work and the teaching. I know I have a lot of different things that I do too, and I'm not sure I could allocate 40 hours to just one type of job. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's where I'm at right now. As a new BCA, I'm 40 hours dedicated, well, 60 hours dedicated to, you know, accurately. We don't work. Yeah, let's say that accurately. Like, it, not, like, I feel like I'm back to being a first year teacher um, where I feel like uh, it's overwhelming at times. There's a lot of things happening. I don't know everything. And I'm kind of fresh out of school. And it's like, oh, wow, this is really happening. And, you know, oh, this is new. I thought I would be able to do this. And yeah, it's a, it's a awesome time. I love this feeling of like that rush of like mm-hmm. learning and having to grow and, you know, be uh, like, I like being uncomfortable at times too. It's such an uncomfortable feeling, feeling uncomfortable, but like, I like knowing that I'm not complacent mm-hmm. in my field. That's where I felt like after 12 years teaching, like I felt complacent, complacent where I know this stuff, I know how to work it, you know, I know how to um, do like basic everything. I'm like, I- I'm not okay with this. I can't do this for the next 20 years of my life. So I, I like this field that you can always grow and always pivot towards being uncomfortable and growing. So. And I love that, Joe, like even as a first year BCBA, you're kind of diving into like everything that you need to learn and like creating time <laughs> to do that too. That's hard. Yeah. It is hard. Everyone's, it's not everyone's priority because they're just trying to learn their job roles. But I feel like as new BCBAs, you definitely have to learn your job roles, but you definitely need to kind of be diving into what some other areas of ABA are, are doing. Um, and it's something that I wish I did more when I first started, but you, you got to create the time. And yeah. that's difficult. So hats off to you for creating that time and <laughs> starting with the podcast and attending trainings and all of those things. Yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Like, it's definitely not easy, but like I had a great mentor, uh, Claire, Megan, um, Lori, who really, um, fostered that, like always doing better and always attend conferences and keep on growing. So then you can learn more just because, um, you're, you're right. It's like, you, you gotta learn more and grow with this field. Um, so then you can be the best provider possible for your clients and, uh, learners. So. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And then once you've, you're like had a few years under your belt, you can be like Adrian and I, and you have to take on other types of jobs because you, you don't want to be complacent. Like you said, so then you're like, I'll do this thing over here and this other thing, um, keep your, uh, growth happening. Yeah, I'm already prepping my wife like, hey, I want to travel here as a BSBA eventually in a few years. And oh, yeah, uh, I just had that conversation with my partner yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey, uh, I, I want to like try to dabble in this. Like, uh, like one of the things I would love to dabble in is more um, 
um, using applied behavior analysis and fitness. I think that's just uh, like, for me, that's really personal just because I was so heavy at one time and I um, put things in place to help me lose weight. And um, now looking back, I was like, oh, I use a lot of, you know, beast, uh, like ABA strategies to help me get there. I was like, let me, let me, I, I want to dabble in this and like try to see what I can do. Um, yeah. We repost so much about health and fitness and little snippet. Weight Watchers mm-hmm. just had a job opening for a BCBA. Wow. What? Is that like in like their whole big Weight Watchers or a local one? To run their like weight and wellness and health and fitness like program. Wow. And like your change. Yeah. So have you seen that? Like was that shared in the health and fitness Facebook group or anything? No. So um Dr. Sherilyn Crump, the program director at National University, we um have a connection and I was talking to her and she told me. Hmm. Um, I need to she's make sure that gets out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah I'll tell her and I and I'll find it um, and send it over to you because yeah, she was like, yeah, Weight Watchers. I was like, oh, and so many of our students at Baba are um, so interested in health and fitness and ABA. Yeah, yeah. And so um, we repost stuff all the time with like different opportunities just in that realm. That's that's really cool. That yeah. is cool. So yeah, I would love to just see the description. I think that's super interesting. Thank you, Adrian. Mm-hmm. Joe, you were talking about being a new BCBA and that kind of dives right into our first question for Adrian. So do you want to go ahead and ask her about the first question we have for her? Yeah. 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 So, um, Adrian, I know that you work with parents as a BCBA. So I was wondering what, what things have you done in the past that you would suggest in your B-Space not to do? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, assumptions, like, I, and making assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not a parent. I was a new BCBA. And of course, I was taught that, you know, parent training is just so pivotal to treatment. And when we're working with kids who have autism, that you really should be, you know, meeting with them every week, giving them homework, you know, assignments, things like that. Right. And so I'm like, okay, I had, and this is where I have reflected and known like I did wrong and I should have done better. I had a two parents, um, they had twin boys, they were from Indonesia, moved over here, had no idea what autism was, and both of their twins were diagnosed. The mom was in a PhD program and the dad had to go back and get his bachelor's degree because education credits weren't able to transfer across countries. And so I was like, okay, well, you have two twins. I'm going to teach you all the foundational ABA. We're going to get manding down because they were both nonverbal non-vocal. Um, I'm going to do all of these great things and you're going to meet with me every week. And that's that. Right. And I wasn't, I wasn't cueing into their actions and cueing into their body language and cueing into, you know, they would say they would want one thing and then the next parent meeting would come and they weren't doing it. And I was like, Mm -hmm. well, what am I doing wrong? Right. And 
I was making assumptions. I was thinking that, oh, you go home and all you need to focus on are these two twin boys. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. And parenting, even when you don't have kids with autism, let alone twins, right? And then you're like, you want me to do this, fill out this data sheet for this pet? and then figure out how to deal with my both twins problem behavior and both of them were on two different functioning levels okay so like it was just all around my assumptions and my expectations I was not able to be nimble enough and take myself out of it right um and Mm -hmm. put myself in their shoes and really ask them questions about what is your day-to-day look like when you get home and to then modify our parent training that way or what were their, oh, this was the one family that I really messed up on, like their cultural and their religious needs as well and Americanize and colonize um, their goals and their trainings and all of those things. Um, so it was just, it was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> but I would definitely, I'd say all that to say, um, making assumptions and not taking yourself out of your shoes and putting yourself into a parent's shoes. Okay. I love that. I love that. Um that feedback because like for me like when I first go in like my initial re- I mean like I know we have the Ruby and all these parent training uh modules that we can use um but it almost sounds like what we need to do is step back and really have a conversation first with the parents and find out how we can best help them and just listen to them is that yeah yeah and then uh, after that, then create a game plan, game plan with them, like on like, okay, this is what we need to do. Right. And that's where app comes into play for me. Um, and kind of doing a little bit more research on how should we really approach parent training as behavior analysts in order to see the behavior change that we want to see. Um, and for our parents to learn what they need to learn. That's awesome. So For our listeners that don't know what ACT is, it's acceptance and commitment therapy. So can you tell us like a little bit about how you use ACT in parent training? Yeah, yeah. So what ACT was introduced to me at our um, state associations conference this past February. And I had heard about ACT, but... um, just never kind of dove into it. It was on my long, you know, our long to-do list. (laughs) Okay, these are all the things I want to do research on. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was on my list, but just never actively sought into it. And so with app, it really focuses on what you just said of like, let's create a game plan, but let's first have a conversation. And it really shows you how to appropriately have those conversations to really get into someone's values and their goals to then create a behavior, a, a game plan, right? One of the things that we like to do as behavior analysts is we like to go straight into action. Like, okay, here's the problem. Here's the action. I do it in my personal life. Literally, it's so bad. I'm like, okay, that's a problem. Instead of like, processing, I go straight into, well, this is how we have to fix it. Like, what's the problem? (laughs) You know? Um, And really it shows us how to take ourselves out of that action phase first and start with the values in a conversation. 
That's awesome. That's awesome. So, um, with, um, act, how should a BCBA, uh, like a brand new BCBA should, how should they go about learning more about act and parent training? Yeah. So I first would do some like intro to act, like acts for a beginner, um, Evelyn gold. Um, there's a Facebook group that's all on act and behavior change. And so, um, I, I can't remember what the specific Facebook page is called. Um, but I think it's like acceptance commitment therapy or something like that. Um, and getting on those social media pages and just kind of seeing like a, a vague overview or doing those intro to act um, classes. There's also the act book, which is a really nice overview. And then once you have a, a decent understanding and a good understanding of act, you'll then see how we should really be applying this to parent training. Um, and it literally took me one one conference session and I was like, why are we not using this with parent training? Why are we taught so differently? And then I thought I started thinking, I literally sat there with my supervisor for two hours after the training and was like, this is BS. <laughs> like, why are we not doing this instead of this? So um looking at the books, looking at there's YouTube the podcast, um, and really kind of starting with some of those beginner lessons. And then you'll be able to use your behavior analytic brain and apply that really to anything. But my focus and where it's really helped me is applying it with parent training. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Um, so I know there has been a couple courses also on Central Reach that does act. Um, have you ever used any of those? Not courses? the sexual reach ones. No, I haven't. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was, I mean, there are so many things that are coming out more and more with act that, um, that people can to, can uh, use to learn more. And there are so many books too that are on the market as well. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, thank you for sharing those, uh, little tidbits and, um, air, places where we can go to uh, research more on ACT? Yeah, I would highly recommend, Evelyn Gold does um, a boot camp and I took her boot camp and she has different boot camps using ACT in different areas, but she has one specifically on parent training. And that really, really helped me because she treats it almost like a consultation group. So you get to hear examples and cases and how to really apply some of the different practices and activities that ACT has with different parent training scenarios. And it was really nice because we had someone from the UK there. We had someone from New Jersey, California, me from Michigan. And so you really got to see what are some struggles people have that are common with parent training and then how can we use ACT to apply that in a more consultation group? So I would recommend Evelyn Gold's uh, ACT boot camps to anyone. <laughs> yeah, I took the um, the course that they have with the New England Center um, for OCD. They did one and I'll put the any links to those types of things I'll put in the show notes, but I thought it was really helpful. And a lot of the things we discussed weren't just around parent, like it wouldn't just apply to parent coaching. It was like 
applicable in your, how you provide supervision or just your day-to-day interactions with your coworkers and things like that as well. So it was really helpful. Um, I honestly didn't have any situations to problem solve, but the other people in the groups did. So that was helpful to, to see how to work through that. And it was nice because it wasn't my problem. So I could listen intently to what they were saying and think like, what would I do in that situation? And then check to see um, if my thought process was accurate or on the right track versus if I was struggling with my own thing and like overwhelmed by that. <laughs> so that was nice too. <laughs> So one question I have for you is um, you talked about, I mean, we were, talk, we were talking about ACT and using it with parent training. Um, can you share your experiences with using it um, for parents? Like what uh, has it been like an improvement in parent training for you? Like you? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so what kind of like the case that I was going through that I was like, all right, it's triggering for me. So one of the things that ACT does, it allows you to do some self-reflection and to show you what is triggering for you and then, you know, how to fix that. Um, So I had a parent, um, and let me, let me circle back just a little bit. So in my practice, I work with both Medicaid and private insurance mm-hmm. and my Medicaid clients are very much so, um, in the lower income, um, area and, um, just where they're at in their life. And so they have a lot of additional stressors. And what I'm finding in myself is that I gravitate more to those fam- those underserved families more than I gravitate to other families that are not necessarily underserved and very much so privileged. And so I have these different dynamics of parents of, oh, we have a full-time nanny. I have a a plane, we live in a million dollar house, and then we have our son that's on autism, um, and we have in th- in-home therapy pretty much every day. Then I have other families that are like, listen, I work the night shift, I barely can put food on the table, um, I don't have a, a, you know, barely have a high school diploma, and it's a pandemic, and I <laughs> work. And so we were going through all of these things. And I found myself getting triggered by some of these more privileged families, because I also have clientele that, you know, you know, have to go to In-N-Out Burger for dinner because that's all they can afford. And then I wasn't seeing the consistency in treatment. I wasn't seeing the buy-in from dad. I wasn't seeing, you know, really the parents wanting to do the work. I think they were more used to, you know, somebody coming in and then saying, fix it, fix my kid. And I don't want to do anything. Um, So that more privileged family that has the nanny, the plane, the all of that, um, I was like, all right, you have a two-year-old kid that has problem behavior, needs to be toilet trained. Um, Parents are reinforcing problem behavior because they hate to see their kid cry. And he's really functioning at about like an 11-month-old, 12-month-old kid, but he's two, almost three. And so I was like, all right. 
let me figure out what this situation does for me as to why I can't change my behavior to then get behavior change in for the family. And so that's what ACT did for me. Um, It really teaches you to reflect and sit back. And I had to figure out, okay, what are these families' goals? What do they want to see for their kid? And I had to um, take myself out of, you know, seeing their privilegedness and being like, no, there's still parents with a really low functioning child that has autism and this is their first kid and they have no idea what to do. And they're a family that is not used to being in control, is not used to getting what they need by any means necessary because they can. And what autism has done for them is really humbled them and saying that, oh, we can't just get everything that we want. And it's not just going to be how we assume it's going to be. And we got to put in the work. And so ACT really taught me how to do that self-reflection of myself to figure out what was triggering for me as to why I couldn't change my behavior to help them. And to really look at, well, why are they um, reinforcing problem behavior. You know, I've given them the training. I've talked about functions of behavior. We've talked about access, maintained behavior and the different interventions and the strategies, and that wasn't working. Right. And one of the things that we have to look at as BCBAs is when our treatment is not effective, we got to modify. Right. And we have to do that with parents as well. You know, they have their own little mini treatment plan and my own thoughts and of their roadmap and where I see them see them going. And so once I started really looking at their goals, their values, which is what app teaches you to do. We then started getting into some different activities that app uses to reflect on their behavior. And does it match with their goals and their values? And so when you start there and then create your roadmap, you can always circle back to their goals and their values and what they want to see for their kid. And how does that manifest on the day to day or the moment to moment? That's powerful. Long winded. No, but that's powerful. (laughs) That's that's awesome. Like, I love the fact that we cut, we go, we, as BCAs, we need to go back to the, you know, the talk about values and outcomes and what our parents want to see. And then also have our goals aligned with not only our goals, but like have, make sure the goals are meshed with the parents and then we're working together towards those goals. Right. I like that. Right. I like that a lot. So. Yeah. That was actually one of the things Adrian, I was thinking about when you were mentioning act is how much, and it's not just act necessarily even, it's just having a good understanding of how to work with people, <laughs> whether you're mm-hmm. using like motivational interviewing or um, any of the other well-researched methods of like collaborating and, and coaching, because we don't receive training on that in, in mm-hmm. our field at all. Um, but once you do, it's easier to recognize your own like role <laughs> in how things um, would play out and like, sort of separate and not take things personally because you, you change the function. Like our function is there to help facilitate and coach things along and help just like we help our clients reach goals. It's to help the families reach their goals as well. If we come in and it's more of this mindset of like, we're here to make you do this stuff, (laughs) right? Like we're, we're the drill sergeant kind of deal. Like that's not going to go over so well. So it helps us learn how to be better not just for parent coaching, but just how to be better at like interacting and engaging with people 
um, which obviously improves anything you can do anyway. So I love that example. A hundred percent agree. Are there um, any sort of cautionary, because I know for a lot of people when they hear about ACT, even though it's much more prevalent now um, than it was even just a few years ago, there's still quite a divide in a from a competency standpoint, especially as there should be, right? Um, yeah. Anything that we didn't, we haven't been trained well on, and that kind of fall, it sort of fall can fall into more of like a counseling therapeutic type. So you have to sort of set clear boundaries for yourself around what exactly you're doing there um, <laughs> right. and what your skill sets are. Because some people do have that background; they're social, they're initially social workers, or they were um, clinical psychologists, or whatever. Some people we're more focused on education or just basic psychology. Um, so do you have any just thoughts or tips for people about sort of walking that line and making sure you're using the valuable aspects, but not starting to dip into something like I could imagine if you're doing some of this work with parents, things might come up where the parents try to put you into more of like a counselor um, role. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I, and I remember, you know, when I first was hearing about ACT, it was like super controversial because mentalistic and we don't do feelings and that gets into the feelings. But I think one of the areas that ABA has kind of gone left is not taking feelings into account and not taking a person as a whole person and holistically. And I think that's what ACT does. And if you are a good or a decent behavior analyst, you will know what you want to take from this discipline and how to apply that with an ABA lens. Um, And I think one of the things that we have to do better as behavior analysts and the world um, of ABA is to take things from other disciplines and then how can we shape it to, to fit into what we're already doing? A lot of the ACT principles are ABA principles, you know, provide parents with a choice. Well, okay, yeah, that's a compound schedule of reinforcement, matching law, like you can do this, you can do this, here's more reinforcement here, here's less reinforcement there, right? Um, same thing, you know, in an ABA terms. So as long as you can take what you needed and what I needed from ACT is to teach me how to take myself out of being so data driven. So you are not, you are a number and on my little Excel graph and all the pretty colors and the face change lines and stuff like that, but you are a whole person. And that's where I was, was messing up at. And making mistakes. And um, I think as long as you take what you need and then can apply that in an ABA lens, you know, it, it's fine. This whole entire world is ABA. Like, let's just be real, you know, <laughs> from the traffic stoplights to, you know, counseling. It, it's all ABA. <laughs> so it, I, I would say just just be mindful and really try to um, approach it from a holistic view instead of like, well, how do you operationally define that? You know? <laughs> so that's yeah, when I first started, when I was at FSU, we were so excited because when I was there as a student, we had a new professor start who had come from a much more established clinical program for autism. And 
we were going through this transition period where the person that was running our clinic or our in-home services had just like left like right like a week before school started so there was no one to run stuff initially so when this new professor came we were all super excited because um he had like all these more um structured goals and things like that for the program so one of the big things that he was focusing on was they wanted to create a parent um training book packet or whatever so i've really run the whole sort of span of we had they created essentially like a a mini textbook <laughs> for the family with with great things like fill in the blank type like um check for understandings like behavioral skills training like all this stuff that we know is effective in teaching people using our terminology and like for for an undergrad student or a graduate class that would probably be perfect right but right. this was something that was created and it had like fun pictures and it looked nice and everything but i remember like sitting down with the parents and trying to go through this stuff and just being like <laughs> like what are we doing right now you know but we still did it like that was what we were doing um and there were a few families that super geeked out about it and totally loved it and like they were like when's my next session you know and they were so excited to like learn all the the lingo and that but like i don't know 90% of the families like we had a special parent training person and they refused to set up time with her because the workbook was so aversive they were just like no i don't want to do that um so we i've had like that exposure to like super structured parent training typically do more what you were describing Adrian at the beginning of um having more of like let's see you know what's going on with your day to day and like how can we help support that right um and it's just interesting to me that i don't know i feel like our field is old enough at this point and should know enough about working with people who aren't behavior analysts to have that down a little bit better yeah <laughs> I think our, our field um, is realizing now that we are very selfish. We are very one-minded, very selfish. And, you know, I know it, it's been all the rave talk about diversity and inclusiveness and equitability, but, you know, we do also have to reflect on how selfish we are in our practices um, and how not nimble we are. I, I didn't realize how not nimble or flexible I was until I was um, provided the opportunity to work with Dr. Hanley and Holly uh, at FTF. And they came to Michigan and they did their ISCA PFA um, research study with a few of our clients. And so um, I would be talking to Holly every week and I'd be like, Holly, it's not working. And she was like, well, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm doing your protocol. <laughs> and mm -hmm. she was like, well, you know, this protocol, yes, was written. However, it's okay to veer off from the protocol. <laughs> and I was taught, well, if you veer off from the protocol, then it's not the protocol then you're not doing it right because we're supposed to be technological, right? I'm supposed to read a recipe, read a procedure and mm -hmm. be able to modify it and repeat it, right? Mm -hmm. Not veer off into this like random factor or variable because then that means I'm going to get conflicting information and what changed with, you know, all of that stuff. And she was like, no, like let's take your mind out of like, we follow things to a T. 
like take take it out because it, it it's not gonna happen and I swear like it was like a 12-week training or something and like the first five she was like no Adrian <laughs> shout out to Holly because she really really um helped me out with that that's awesome and, you know that kind of brings back when you were talking earlier about um when Joe asked about what not to do um, and you mentioned how you, you weren't noticing that like the family's body language and things like that. Um, and I think that's one of the things that um, I think a few behavior analysts have started doing on their own, but Hanley and his group are really helping to push forward that yeah. really understanding you have to be responsive to the learner. And that's where that, that flexibility and the nimbleness comes in because I think sometimes people like I, there's just always that over application. So we don't want it to sound like you just have to be flexible and nimble and like willy nilly and change your stuff. Like there's still a reason for it. It's yeah. based on what you're seeing the learner do and whether the learner is the young clients that you're working with or their parents, you're cueing into how are they responding in this moment to this thing that's happening. And then you know enough in your skill set to shift okay, they're responding well, they're happy, relaxed, and engaged, let's keep moving forward versus they're push pulling back, like they're showing me like closed off body language, we need to shift something here. So it's really more about that like dance of um, it had knowing enough to be flexible, how to be flexible <laughs> in those moments <laughs> and still like attending to them. Because if you're just jumping all over, because you're like, this isn't working, but you're not attending to the learner to figure out why it's not working, that's right. not really gonna work. <laughs> Right. I want to, I always say like as BCBAs or BCABAs or anyone doing parent training, we have to be able to be adaptable in the moment, mm -hmm. right? Like I could be talking to you guys and, you know, I'm saying this and you guys are looking at me, you're nodding your head, you're really taking in everything that I'm saying. And then I can make a statement and you could be like, mm. <laughs> okay. And now you're like, Mm. <laughs> you know, and then as, as the, you know, practitioner that you're working with, I need to cue into that and then shift that and recognize like, okay, I said this like this and then their body language changed or they started scrowling or dad started looking in his phone, you know, and what really cued me into these things is the dads that I was working with. <laughs> And yeah. not having their buy-in or seeing what their motivation was because majority of the time we're working with boys, right? And so the dads are probably like, I just was playing, I'm playing baseball and golf and football with my kid. And now my kid can't even attend to me to give me a kiss, right? And so you have to be able to be flexible and adaptable in that moment. And if you aren't learning that skill, then you're only 50% good at parent training. Maybe. Or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anything. Yeah. And I think that's something that I think we, I, um, I'd be curious to know if you feel that the courses that you're teaching, you're able to pull that in. I, obviously, as like a supervision thing, it should be something that supervisors are helping to practice and like role play with people. But it's like, again, going back to a lot of us and what you were talking about with the course that you were taking with Holly and how it's like, we follow these steps. A lot of people in their grad programs are learning more like these are the procedures and like yeah. the cookbook type stuff. And they're not learning about the watch your learner and shift um, based on what your learner's doing. I was fortunate at, at a FSU that 
all of our stuff focused around that. And we did a ton of role-playing with like, yes, you're learning, they would teach us like four or five different articles and then give us a scenario, whether it was written or real. And we, in that, based on what the learner was doing, we had to say how we would pull that information in as opposed to just, what do you do for escape? You know, like (laughs) there's there's so many factors that go into it. Um, Do you, do you feel like with the work that you're doing right now, you're able to um, provide those opportunities for um, the people you're supervising or teaching? I, I think now that I'm actively reflecting on it, yes. When I first started teaching, I wasn't actively reflecting on some of these things. You know, I was a new BCBA, um, but I'm a, I'm a damn good teacher. But, you know, um, when you're not actively reflecting on something, you're also not actively sharing that with the people that you have the opportunity to teach, whether those are your students, your supervisees, your mentees, whoever, right? So I think now that I'm actively thinking about that, I'm like, ooh, we need to completely redo how we're teaching. You know, yes, we have this stuff on the task list. Yes, our our students have to know the strategies and the interventions and the procedures, but how are we as seasoned behavior analysts and for the Joes out there in the world that are kind of just, you know, engulfed in all this information, how are we teaching them to be flexible and nimble and to think about all the little nuances that go into effect of like, yeah, this is what you do for escape, but here's five kids that have escape maintained behavior. Here's five different parents. Then how do you choose the correct intervention? Yeah. And so I think, you know, that's something that I'm working on this semester and redoing all of my PowerPoints and lessons because I'm like, this is just like, let me teach you the task list and then send you on your way. And that's not what makes good BCBAs and a little bit of that you need in order to pass that exam as well. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing that I'm fortunate, like for me, like I'm fortunate that I had that background as a teacher for so long because you had to be on your toes and you had to be flexible. So when I first came into being a BCBA, it, it was like section second nature for me just be more flexible mm-hmm. and just being able to adapt in the moment. But I can see as new BCBAs who just never had that teacher background and came right into the field, it's a little bit more challenging. Um, and I'm really, uh, and hats off to you for going back to all your PowerPoints and your, uh, teaching materials and, uh, refreshing them because I'm, that's going to be super valuable for, um, the new BCBAs that you're teaching. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You gotta find the time to do it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think a lot of teachers are like, yeah, I would love to teach on that. I would love to redo my PowerPoints, but you know, teachers are never just solo. Like I only teach, like that's never happens. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Exactly. I mean, like, yeah, I know. Like, I mean, like there, I mean, there's, there are things that like I would love to do, but it's like finding that time to do it. That's where like, I, like even as a BCBA, like I said, like, you know, the mindset of a 40 hour week, forget that for your, for your first like five, 10 years, you know, <laughs> even, I mean, maybe longer. If you want to do some special projects, you're going to be working that 60 hour, 80 hour week. Right. 
Um, so, but in the end, what really matters is, are you making a difference in people's lives and, or, or what you're going, is what you're doing going to benefit the future? Are you going to leave behind something that is going to benefit the people you come in contact with? Right. And I think also we have to take into account that there's all these parents that are like, ABA didn't help us. You know, we are Mm -hmm. the ambassadors. Like they are our, like, this is how they're going to see ABA. It's either with Joe or with Megan or with myself, you know? Um, And whether they move and go somewhere else, if we're saying this is the, you know, premier treatment for those who have autism, um, we have to do better at at marketing our field. And so not flexible or nimble or doing some of those self reflections and looking at the goals and the values and then creating our roadmap, we can ostracize a whole population and wish that we've done, you know, we've done that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's important. Go ahead, Megan. I was just going to say that um, when you were bringing that up, Adrian, especially earlier about, um, something the selfishness piece um I had a thought about that with like parent the parents and just reflecting back on how I was originally trained not just to interact with parents but just people in general um about our science it was like when we would have questions like okay well this this family really wants to do this thing and it you know we would be told well, that's not behavior analytic. You need to shut that down, you know? And like, um, this parent, this family really values whatever. And it's like, well, you need to show them a better way. Like you need to show them the light. Essentially. It's like, <laughs> like, am I like, I don't want to get too controversial here, but am I like, a, or like, am I right. from a religion? And I'm trying to like save these, like, I don't understand what's right. happening right now. Right. Yeah. So at the time as a student, I didn't question it because I was so eager and so excited. And it's like, yes, of course, like everyone should know the amazingness of behavior analysis and it's, and they should, I'm not saying they shouldn't, <laughs> but, um, I know from, from a wide array of behaviors, both bar discussions right. and like actual professional conversations with people who differ um, like you were saying, we're, we see the world one way and we have to recognize that not everyone values the same things we value, um, but our science can still be effective and it's more effective if we can realize what are the things that these people value instead. Like some families I work with would never, ever want to see a study on anything, right? They're more, they're more concerned about um, what their... Um, yoga teacher says, I don't know, like they have different people they listen to and value information from. So if I'm not able to recognize that and figure out how to to collaborate and still support them around what's important to them, I'm not going to be as effective. And all I was ever trained to do was help them realize how ridiculous it is that they only want to listen to their yoga teacher and make them want to listen to me instead. And A, that's not appropriate. <laughs> that's not why I'm there. Um, and B, that's just not even effective. Like there's, there's zero research to show that when you try to help someone who's already valuing something over here to value something completely different, if you push hard on it, that they'll be like, Oh yes, you're right. I should change. Like that doesn't happen. Right. And that's exactly how I was taught. Like, Oh, throw all these articles and books and this and that, and they should read this, 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 and this. I remember sitting like whenever I had a new client, um, at the place that I worked, 
um, my supervisor would be like, okay, how are the parents? What are the parent goals that you're doing? And, and she would look in her bookshelf and she's like, I tell them to read this, read this. And she would just be grabbing books. And now that I, I understand a little bit better, I was like, that was just so wrong. But I think about all these supervisors that are teaching our behavior analysts to, to do that. Right. And the supervisors aren't going into the new wave of ABA, right? There's this new wave <laughs> 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 that's happening in so many different aspects. But, you know, um, like, why is it that that's the way we're taught? That's the question. Why are we teaching to the action and the books and the research and throw all this at them? Right. And if they're not doing it, discharge them because they don't have buy-in. Right. And we can go help another family that's going to have buy in, you know, um, why are we taught that way? Because I don't think that's how it was initially supposed to be. And I think there's a lot of things that, you know, we, we take and we've kind of just morphed into this situation, but that's not what their original intent was. Um, so how can we teach, you know, supervisors that are bringing up these new behavior analysts to think in a different way when it comes to parent training or just really anything. Right. Um, but particularly parent training, cause it starts, that's where it kind of, kind of starts and kind of keeps our kids into, into this area. Um, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> um, like I said, I think we're dealing with a lot of selfish people, um, who are kind of stuck in their ways and, you know, how do we gauge of like, okay, you're going to be over here. I'm going to work with these people over here. Um, but definitely like, how did it become this, let's go straight to action and creating the data sheets, throwing the books and the research and the ABA-ness and not looking at people like humans. Yes. Oh, I love that. I yeah. think for me, and this is just my opinion, it's not like a fact or anything, but when I reflect on it, one of the things I think about is, you know, a lot of this originally started from research studies. And if you've ever conducted a research study, in order to do research, you have to have very strict procedures in place, right? It's like when I did my dissertation, it was like, I wrote out my methods and like, once that was on paper, that's what it was, right? So it's like, if my, one of my participants wasn't progressing, that's demonstrating that the methods I had in place weren't working, but I still had to stick to that because that, that was the research being done. So at the time when a lot of things were first being studied, at least with application for, for autism and more of this intervention um, piece, that's everyone that was receiving access to the interventions were part of a research study where you, you sign up to have very strict procedures put on you essentially not saying that that's okay. And that's how it should be done. Um, I, did you see Dr. Pritchett's presentation for uncomfortable a week or so ago? No, but it's in my, my email. Cause I think they sent the PowerPoint. I was so mad. Yeah. I missed it. <laughs> so, and, and that's an area that's newer to me to learn about, but she, Joe, for your reference too, she's studying her and um, some others in the field are studying colonial colonial research practices. And she did such an amazing job of explaining like what that even is. Um, and, and it's, it was interesting because when I was at Ohio state and especially learning about the research that, um, cause I was in the education program. So the research that we were doing or others were doing in the schools and we went to this neighborhood, um, that was frequently 
part of research studies. And one of our assignments for the class was to interview members of that community to find out like what they thought about the research being done. And by and large, every single person said, we were so excited. We were like, we can't wait to hear about how grateful they are about the research that gets done here. Everyone hated us because (laughs) we came into these lower income communities with our grant money and studied the thing we wanted to study. We never asked them what they needed help with, right? What their schools needed support with. Things would be effective though, even, and then we'd leave and everything would fall apart because there was no transition, right? So that, though, that's not the exact <laughs> definition of colonial, yeah. but that is a colonial research practice, right? Yeah. Um, so focusing more on like working with the people to figure out you want to study something, but let's do this as a community and like uh, I'm working back and forth with like, what can I help with? And then my research will help focus on that and obviously focusing on like consent and all of that kind of stuff. Um, Much better detailed with Dr. Pritchett. She has a research article coming out on it soon. Um, But anyway, I like totally went off track there. (laughs) But if that's where, like, if that's where our foundation came from is that, um, these types of research practices were in place. This is how people were being trained. And like, I remember when I worked in Columbus, it was at a replication, a research replication site for one of my first clients. And they were super strict. They, if the family didn't do X, Y, and Z, they were out. Cause it was seen as like a, you know, we're doing you a favor, letting you get these services, right? So, and in some cases, people were getting the services for free if they were part of the research, right? So they really were, but then you look at the power struggle. There's so many, we could have a whole like six hour conversation on this, right. I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but we got to get away from that because that, we're not doing, I mean, sure, if people are still doing research, then okay, hopefully they'll get away from it by switching away from colonial research practices. But as practitioners, there's zero reason <laughs> why our practice should look like that. Right. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Sorry about that long tangent. You just, no, you've no, seen no, me no, present. No. You know how this goes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, we have two hour long podcasts, so I'm sure, you know, it's, it's all right. But um, so like for me, like getting back on topic of parent training, is that what we were talking about? <laughs> like, that's what the show is about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking about uh, colonial research there. Um, yeah. Now, that's interesting. I've never heard that, so I want to read, I mean, one more oh, about that. I bet you it was such, I'm so mad I missed it. Um, I want to get with them and see, can we just redo that? um somewhere it needs to be redone maybe i don't know but yeah that should it should be i don't know what you all have lined up and hopefully we'll talk about well we will talk about that before we finish today but um i don't know what you all have lined up for like invited presenters and stuff but if you haven't finalized your thing she should definitely be one of them yeah we So our call for papers are out right now um so we just wanted to wait to see what we got in and then kind of go from there so but we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So back to parent training, Joe. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, you're fine. You're fine. So like, uh, so, uh, so for me right now, what I'm realizing is like when I conduct parent training, um, right now I'm, when I'm there with my parents, it evolves into just have conversation for like an hour talking about their needs right now. 
and how we can best um, handle those needs. Um, now, for me as a newer BCBA, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself like, oh no, I need to get back in the Ruby and start talking about all these um, specific, um, uh, all these specific, uh, like the functions of behavior, all these specific topics and teach them how to be a BCBA on their own because I want to, you know, I want to work myself out of a job. I want them to take over. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm finding myself like it's so valuable to the parents to have a conversation during these meetings and just talk about what their values are and, um, how best we can address certain issues that are happening at home. Is that your experience as well? Or. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of, a lot of what we focus on, especially if you're in like a clinic based setting, right. Is okay. Skill acquisition, your child, this is what it is. But particularly when you address things that are going on in their home, it looks a lot different than what goes on in like a center based setting. Right. If, if you're not doing in-home treatment. So a lot of parents, honestly, those first couple of weeks just want somebody to talk to, yeah. you know, they don't have anyone else that, you know, can relate to what, you know, their sleep issues are, or my kid only eats pizza and vanilla wafers and that's it. And it can't be the store-bought pizza. It's got to be Little Caesars with all the Parmesan and all the grease and all the butter, (laughs) all the little things, you know, and it's things that we take for granted just on our day-to-day. I'm still not a parent, but there are things that I take for granted um, on the day-to-day that, you know, our parents with children on the spectrum or just any cognitive disability, um, go through. And so when you first start off with those, what do you need? I know what your kid needs, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna address that, you know? Yeah. What do you as, um, dad and mom and grandparents and aunts and uncles, whoever's in the child's life, what do you need to make your life easier on the day to day? You know, and for Mm -hmm. different families, that means different things. You know, for one family, it might be really important that their child um, is able to communicate what their wants and needs. For other families, they're like, no, I'm good with the push pull. I need this kid to be sleeping at night. You know, and so how do we tailor our treatment to meet those needs on top of, you know, what the child needs and how do we how do we get there? Are there some skills that we need to teach it first in order to get to the ultimate goal of your child sleeping throughout the night yeah. um, instead of being like, yeah, 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 we'll work on sleep. But what's really important is that they're eating with a fork and a spoon. But in their culture, they're good with the hands, you know, and that's okay. Um, I think a lot of parents just need someone to talk to and someone that's going to listen to them and also take into account what they're what they know their child to be. You know, parents aren't experts on their kids. Yeah. Experts ish on autism, but not on their child. Yeah, And we have to bridge both of those gaps and take into consideration their wants and their needs. Um, I was recently 
or I am currently toilet training, right? Another thing I love, um, I've learned to love. Listen, it was not a love at first. (laughs) 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 I used to hate toilet training. (laughs) I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, yeah. But now I love it because of how involved I've gotten the parents and how that has changed my success with toilet training. It all stems back to parents for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was, you know, even still my, my very privileged family, I was like, no, this is the way we're going to do it. And I wasn't seeing behavior change. I wasn't seeing consistency. We were seeing up and down in toileting. You know, one day he's at two hours, the next day he's back at 55 minutes. And I'm like, what is going on? You know? Yeah. Um, and they were uncomfortable with the reinforcers or the preferred items that we were using. And I didn't sit down and say, you know, is this okay with you? I was just like, well, this is a high motivator. He doesn't have a lot of motivators. So this is what we're going to use. And then parents weren't using that when we were leaving. Mm-hmm. And this was recent, right? Like yeah. recently. And I was like, you know what? No, Adrian. Take a step back. How does this look for them? You know, and talk to them about how this looks for them instead of assuming. And then we got to, we both bridged that gap and we got on the same page. And now the kid is dry in underwear, toilet trained, and it didn't take nearly as long as it would have if I didn't take their thoughts and feelings into account. That's awesome. Uh, we just recently did a podcast on toilet training and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it, it's funny because like now thinking, like talking to with you, like it also makes me, um, it, it's interesting that the, these procedures that people are putting out, they don't also also take in consideration of the family's values and what they think the, I mean, what they value um, as well. That's why a lot of parents do struggle with um, toilet training because they're following a procedure, but yet it doesn't take an account for their values or what they think is most important. Right. Right. So. Adrian, there was some, a couple of things you said there too, about like the listening to the families that really jumped out to me, um, as a mom, um, two things I thought of one for a lot of the families, when you're talking about, um, you know, the challenges they're experiencing it, like you gave the example of only eating pizza or whatever, a lot of, um, parents aren't going to have someone to talk to about that. Like they might have friends or whatever, but they won't necessarily feel comfortable because just the way that parents interact, like I'm fortunate because all of my friends are behavior analysts. So I could tell them anything about <laughs> Taylor and they'll just be like, whatever. Um, but that's not the case for everyone. Right. So I know like for myself, the times where Taylor has had difficulty with something, there isn't really like, there's not a huge motivation for me to want to like contact my mom or one somebody else about it it's like okay I'm failing (laughs) and it's not I'm not saying that as like I'm a behavior analyst I should be able to do this it's just I'm a mom and I can't like I'm failing my kid right now like who wants to have those conversations with people (laughs) especially their friends right like who wants to admit they're failing to someone about something um and then the other piece that I thought of too is when we're looking at the values and things for families a lot of the times people don't know what their values are, uh, because 
there's so many different pressures from society or their own learned histories of like what family should be. And then this new variable comes into play of having a child who's not progressing the way that like they were expecting. So now they have to figure out like, well, what do we want this to look like? And what, what are the expectations around this? And it's not our job to come in and tell them what they should be. It's help coach that along and let them come for their own, um, you know, and of course, hopefully having some information for them about self-advocacy and the importance of recognizing the, the learner as their own human being and all of those types of things. But ultimately, we're there to more facilitate that. Um, but I think incorporating ACT and having those conversations with families in and of itself is hugely impactful because a lot of families probably, I know even for my own family, like I've tried to do it a few times, but we just, other things happen. Like we, we haven't really sat down enough either and talked about like, what, what are the things <laughs> that like, why, how are we making our decisions here? You know, and like, what are we trying to work towards? I know what I want. <laughs> Doesn't right. necessarily mean it's the same as my husband. Um, so that I think is a really great, it was just a really great revelation for me, I guess, about um, the importance, not just so that we can create a plan together, but like for the families to even be given that space and to have that opportunity to have those discussions. Mm -hmm. And being mindful that, you know, we talk about mindfulness in relations to act, right? As a behavior analyst, we need to be mindful of that, you know, these families don't necessarily feel comfortable talking to their friends about how their kid tantrums taking away a pen you know, mm -hmm. or don't want to talk about how their kid is toilet trained, but only toilet trained with voids and ask for a diaper with bowel movements, you know, or only eats pizza. And we have to be mindful and give them the tools to feel comfortable to at least have one outlet, you know, yeah. it only takes one person um, to talk to that could really change someone's entire life. And in that moment, and, um, how are we doing that as behavior analysts when we're working with parents, you know, for the audience and for us on the show, we have rarely said any, not one ABA term. We've been talking all about just like feelings and emotions and how to approach somebody as a human. And, you know, then how do we take that and then apply our ABA and behavior analysis to that? And that's what I want the audience to take away from this is that, you know, it's not all about the action. We first need to see people as humans and see our parents as humans and to not make assumptions and to take ourselves out of it and put ourselves in their shoes. Cause we get to go home mm -hmm. and I get to decompress and watch my Grey's Anatomy and, you know, all of my fave shows. I'm a little sad because I don't get my TGIT right now, <laughs> but, and I don't get to go home to a child or anything like that. I get to go home to myself and my partner. Um, and what does that look like though, for when we're, we're gone, the nanny's gone, I'm gone. It's, mom, dad, son, and, you know, a little brother that's 18 months and they have to, you know, figure out life until 8 a.m. the next morning when, when help comes. But that's your every day. Mm -hmm. You know, we complain when somebody flicked us off at the stoplight. Like, oh, that just ruined my day. <laughs> you know, like, oh my God, I'm just so mad. Like, I'm laughing because I can't even take it seriously, right? <laughs> but 
putting ourselves, being mindful of putting ourselves in our parents' shoes and how would we want to be approached and to be taught if this was my child, you know, and really, really taking into account those severe, severe kids. Um, If this was my child, how would I want to be approached and to be taught in this situation? And nine times out of 10, it's not the approach that we are currently taking. You know what that also just made me think of? Because I see people do it all the time. You have to really dive into that and lean into it because a lot of people would be like, well, I just do, it's behavior analysis. It's a science. You just do it. And it's like, (laughs) (laughs) no, then you're not leaning. You're not really taking perspective there. You're just um, trying to apply what you learned in grad school, right? Like how would it actually feel day in and day out to have a child or have, you know, whatever things happening happen? And then how would you want someone to engage with you over that? Because I think a lot of times we do have that difficulty because we're, we have such a strong learning history as behavior analysts to really step out of that, um, you know, just black and white (laughs) bit about, well, you just do this, you know, um, you just take action. Right. Um, and, and really get into the feels (laughs) part of it. Like you were saying about how we might get pissed off if someone like, you know, flicks us off while we're driving or whatever, like. Think about your, I think first you have to think about your own stressful experiences and how that feels when like minor things are happening to you. Then take that over. Think about the person that you're trying to perspective take with and like not allow yourself to really think about the behavior analytic part of it at all for at least 20 minutes, right? Like really get in there. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. once you've really fully felt that, start to think about how would that look like, what would, how would you want someone to interact with you around that? Right. We don't know what additional stressors or day to day that someone else is, is going through. Right. Um, I could be talking to you and I could have my, a sick, my sick mother, you know, across the way. and, And I made time to be on this podcast, but as soon as I get off, I'm a nurse, you know, or I'm a doctor now to my, my dying mother, you know, And we don't know what that looks like for the other person that's in the car that just flipped me off, you know, Mm -hmm. and take that approach with our parents. You know, they have jobs. They, some are in relationships, some are not, you know, some people have these additional barriers and these additional stressors on top of, I got to meet with you every week for an hour on something that's not helping me. You know, so we talk about those parents and those behavior analysts that are like, I don't have parent buy-in. My parent doesn't value our parent trainings, you know, and we blame it on the parent. We say, oh, they don't care about their kid enough or this isn't a priority to them. You know, we immediately go to the other person instead of being like, all right, well, let me look within myself. What were the actions that I was doing? You know, we get those on our, on the, um, Biba page on um, the Facebook page, we get those scenarios all the time. And I'm, I'm trying to do better as a moderator, (laughs) right? (laughs) You know, this, like, how do we facilitate different perspective taking when it comes to social media and these different scenarios? It's hard. (laughs) It's hard. Um, And and Megan's got it worse than me. Okay. Let me tell you. (laughs) 
She's got way worse than me. Um, but how do we facilitate just taking a different perspective and looking within ourselves and the behaviors that we're doing and then being like, okay, so I'm doing this and this is what it's it's manifesting is that the parent is it is canceling my parent meetings all the time or we barely have things to talk about in our parent meetings or okay they're not doing the homework okay well what am i doing you know and and doing that self-reflection before doing an outward reflection. And, and we see it all the time right now, you know, um, that's another thing that Antonio Harrison is, is talking about of how do we um, approach some of this cancel culture and this immediate like F you culture and take a step back and approach that with kindness. So then if we apply that to our parent training, we would be way better effective <laughs> behavior analysts and parents would come to our weekly parent meetings or biweekly parent meetings, or um, they would do the homework or they would be like, all right, I tried this and that didn't work. So then what variable? And then that's how we make them into many BCBAs. I think mm -hmm. I was watching when I first started, um, uh, looking into parent training, I was watching a do better webinar, um, back in like 2017 or something. It was long, like a couple years ago. And that's what I got that from. Of It's my job to teach the parents to be the best BCBAs they can be without spending the thousands of dollars that we had to spend to do what we do, you know, <laughs> or requiring um, the technical terminology or any yeah. of those types of things. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and if, if that's my goal, then how can I achieve that? That makes sense to each family and be adaptable. Yeah. Um, there was one thing that you were talking about with the kindness with Dr. Harrison. Um, one of the things that I'm doing right now, I'm halfway through this course on compassionate listening and I'm just absolutely loving it. I, they do, you can host workshops, but all of their information is about hosting a live, like in-person workshop. So I'm hoping during the pandemic, if I touch base with them, that they'll do a virtual one, but I'm hoping to do that. And I think uh, there's, there's research out there. And that's another thing. It's not on our task list, but for any of us who are supervising and training people, if we can focus, like commit to focusing on developing those skills ourselves, but then also incorporating that into our supervision um, like curriculums and whatnot, that that would be helpful too. Um, this, the course isn't even that expensive. So obviously you could just not reinvent the wheel and encourage people to take the course, but they have, I mean, I've done like Google scholar searches and things and they have published research studies. So that's something we'll be doing more with do better over the next, um, at least a year, but I'm sure longer because that's definitely a, an area that people are not <laughs> myself included, do not have strengths in. Yeah. So yeah, me too. I, I, I need to do better compassionate listening instead of like problem listening. You yeah. Know, we listen and it's like, I'm going to, I'm listening so I can like just debunk everything you're saying <laughs> or understanding or your perspective. We talk about teaching our kids perspective taking, but we don't like to do perspective taking. <laughs> like, <laughs> It's this, it's this wild concept. It's a whole yeah. podcast. I'm sure we could have. Yeah. One of the things that they came up in the first class was, um, this discussion. And I swear there's like, I don't know, 10 of us in there. And I'm like the only one I'm pretty sure that didn't, hadn't ever heard this term, but they were, people were bringing up that, um, one of the things they were looking forward to in the class was getting more practice listening with their heart instead of their ego. And I was like, 
wait, what does that mean? And then somebody gave an example and it's basically like, you're really listening to understand and to help the person, um, ask them questions to like dig deeper on their own and like figure out their own solutions to things. As opposed to if you're listening to with your ego, you're in there problem solving action. Like, let me show you how smart I am. Um, let me do this for you kind of deal. And I was like, man, we are totally trained to listen with our egos (laughs) and talk with our (laughs) egos and all of those things. So it's going to be a hard history to undo, but I love the class because it's each one, um, we talk for a little bit, but then we have these breakout rooms where we practice whatever the little bit is for that day um, that we're learning how to, to engage in compassionate listening. This coming week is going to be um, a, a recognizing your triggers, which will be super helpful for me. <laughs> like I can uh, type and do better with compassionate listening. But if I'm like talking to someone in person and they use a certain tone of voice or look at me a certain way, I am like, the Hulk. <laughs> so, like, here's, where my ego. here's where my ego comes in. <laughs> yeah, let me know how that goes. That sounds really interesting. I know yeah. um, Scott Hertz does some compassionate listening training um, over with his his company in Illinois as well. That and they do some virtual stuff. So I'll definitely yep. send those away too. Awesome. Yeah, I've been in. I he's actually on my to do list because we're working on setting up a, a webinar. Um, for October, and it was supposed to be on RFT, but maybe I'll ask him to do that instead. We'll see. <laughs> uh, well, we have been talking for quite a bit. Joe and I tend to have really long podcast episodes, uh, so um, Joe, <laughs> Joe, did you have any more questions about parent training to ask Adrian? No, I she she has done an amazing job with just talking about ACT and how she incorporates ACT into her parent training. Um, thank you so much. I mean, like I, I learned quite a bit as well, just listening to both of you about how we can best use act in parent training and how we can do better for our parents. So I'm going to definitely take, um, what I learned today, um, to my clients, definitely. Cause I have, I'm gaining more people in my caseload and there's a couple parents that I know that what has been done in the past is not working. And, um, especially like when it comes to regards to like, Hey, um, IEPs or like their, I mean, what would be best for their child? I think what I'm going to have to do is step back and say, okay, what are your values? How can, and just listen to them about what their values are and what, and just focus on them. Um, more so than, oh, you should do this. You should get an IP. You should go through here. Um, and you need to do this because this is why, I mean, if you don't have it, I need, I need to step back and just really focus on their values and what I can do to help support them first. And then maybe, and eventually if their values changed and we can move together towards that, but Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) You summarized it so well. Adrian, before we have you share all the awesome stuff Bob is doing and like presentations you have coming up, are there any closing thoughts you have about parent coaching that you want to share? No, just really um, as BCBAs or BCABAs and anybody working with families of of um, kids on the spectrum, kids not on the spectrum, in whatever discipline that you're working with families with, um, just being mindful 
and doing some self-reflection. And like Megan, you just said, you're figuring out what your triggers are going to be in this next class. As behavior analysts, what are our triggers in relations to some of the parents that we're working with? And, and really diving into why those are triggers for us and then changing our behavior after that. Um, and, and being mindful. That's all. Awesome. So I know I've seen a few different advertisements for BABA, but also you are presenting at at least one conference I know of, but there might be others. So tell us what's on like this, this episode is going to come out in just a few days. So anything that's coming up in the near future, I would love to hear more about what you're up to. Yeah, so um, I'll be presenting, or me and Megan will be presenting at Arizona ABA. I was super, super, I was like, ooh, we were both put out on the same day. (laughs) Um, And at Arizona ABA um, conference, I'll be doing act and parent training. So it'll be um, more of like, how do we dive into scenarios and then apply some of these different things? Um, and that's in October... October 6th and 7th? Something like that. We'll get the dates and oh, stuff in the show notes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I have a few different ones I'm doing in the fall, so I can't remember the dates, but I'll get them in the show notes. Yeah. And then um, me and Megan will be on a panel at yep. Arizona ABA <laughs> um, as well. So definitely check that out. Um, at BABA, we are going to be presenting at Nevada ABA, which is in October as well. And we're going to be talking about, you know, we a lot kind of came up in June in relations to the ABA world and diversity, equity, and inclusion and how we really need to change our practices. And now that that's kind of been talked about, we put a presentation together for practitioners of how to apply that in your day-to-day practices. So we'll be focusing on how we can be better equitable with clients, better inclusive with parents. We take a leadership and supervision approach as well. So really actionable steps that people can do um, to tie DEI in from the everyday practitioner perspective. That sounds incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that's November. I just submitted something to present at Arkansas ABA um, doing like leadership development during COVID. So hopefully they choose that paper, but that, that'll be in November. Um, that's November 6th and November 7th. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I still can't remember when Arizona is. But it's definitely know. in October. I just don't know the exact date. It is. It is. And I need to look that up because like a couple weeks away. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll be there. Uh, and then outside of that, I, I don't think we have anything else. Yes, you do. I, oh, I have, do. what, September 27-something, the panel that Bob, or the um, autism? Oh, um, Bob is CEU. Yeah, yeah, I was more so focused on like, what am I doing? Yeah, no, we need both. <laughs> yeah. so Baba, yes. So we have, um, and I actually have the flyer right here. Um, we have a town hall that is coming up. We have a monthly town hall and we have special announcement for this month's town hall. So that's going to be, I think the 15th. Yeah, that's the 15th. I was bummed because that's the same day we're hosting, uh, Dr. Ferris. I might be able to hop in for the end of it because I think it starts, we have like 30 minutes. Um, okay. So different. Yeah. We really got to, you know, we really got to discuss like all <laughs> these 
or events that are happening at the same time. We need to be in communication with each other. For that. <laughs> but, um, so Baba, we do monthly town halls that pe- we um, feature a partnership that we have. And so we have a really nice organization that is out of Texas that we're going to be featuring in this month's town hall. Um, we also provide just different information on any opportunities that we have for members or non-members. Um, we tend to give conference updates and then um, we have special announcements. So we have a really special announcement for this upcoming Tuesday that'll be, um, I'll make sure it's towards the end. So Megan, you can hop on <laughs> um, as well with there. But um, then we also have our CEU and we're going to be talking about cultural humility in relations to ABA and um, autism and how from an autism perspective, how ABA can just be better. And that's something that has been all over the Do Better Facebook page and a lot of other Facebook pages as well. So we're gonna have two adults who have autism on our panel and just be talking about um, their perspective of ABA and how we can do better from, from them. And that's on the 22nd. I signed up. 7 to 8 p.m. 7 to 8, yeah. Um, so that that's coming up. And then um, we have a really nice Black History Month initiative that's going to be coming up in February. I know February is a long time for some people, but for us, it's like around the corner. <laughs> um, so I'm really excited to share that with you guys and our audience just about... Um, Black people in our field and just learning about some of the pioneers that um, are out there as well. And then, of course, we have our BABA conference that is going to be on Juneteenth of 2021. Um, Our goal is to keep it on Juneteenth every year so everybody will know about Juneteenth (laughs) (laughs) Um, and what that is and how important that is for our community. Um, But this year... COVID willing, it will be in Detroit, Michigan, and at Wayne State University as well. So we'll be right downtown, and it's going to be all on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and just um, how we needed to build our own table to see what we need, we needed and wanted to see. And we'll, we have some pretty cool keynote speakers that might be announced in our town hall. <laughs> um, so we're really excited for that. And our call for papers are still out. And no, you don't have to be black to join. And no, you don't have to be black to present. We want to hear from any and everyone. And it's not just about the black community. We want to hear from all of the marginalized communities and have breakout sessions and all of those things. So we really encourage for that conference, if that is someone's first conference presentation, that we will make you feel as comfortable and prepared as possible. And then while we're showing other conferences, this is how you make conference equitable for people um, and inclusive for people. Wonderful. And I'll include information on all of that in the show notes, because that's a lot of, like I said, you're (laughs) busy. So both with your own presentations and planning other things. So we're so appreciative of that. Yeah. I think, I think um, also you'll be happy to know that Arizona ABA is actually October 23rd and 24th. Thank you, Joe. (laughs) I looked that up. So we've got like over a month. We're good. Right. 
Listen, sometimes these presentations get put together like the day before. <laughs> you, you agree to it like a year out and then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, that's tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I was really looking at this calendar like, oh crap, that's like three weeks away. <laughs> <laughs> but this, like 2020 yeah. is like dragging, but going like, and the same time I'm like, wait, it's September 12th already. Like when did that happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's no, wild. it'll be December 31st. It'll be 2021 before we know it. I you hope know. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really, I really, I'm done with 2020. Like, just all. <laughs> I, and I was talking about this side note. I was talking about this one. When we were in elementary school, the only thing that they could talk about was 2020. 2020 was supposed to be the best year ever we were gonna have all this data and all these nice things do you guys remember that that like no because I'm probably a lot older than you we were like in the year 2000 all these cool things will happen (laughs) (laughs) so when we were in elementary school and middle school everyone was talking about 2020 and now to see like 2020 actually here I was like "Mm, this is not (laughs) (laughs) was not what we were planning for um I had one more. Oh, just real quick. I'll put it in the show notes. But if people want to learn more about Baba, there's a website and a Facebook page and a group. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So we have a like public business page that anyone can join that we put out all information. So if you look up Black Applied Behavior Analyst INC um, on Facebook, we have that page. Then we have a um, members only page and so those are for all members of baba um and then our website is info baba info.org i was okay. about to say email baba <laughs> info, info.org and membership is open for anyone and everyone that wants to join um you do not have to be black to join this organization um on our website we delineate what Uh, memberships and the benefits and we have a nice little visual that are out there for everyone and um, we really want to just be a space for those who want to support the black community in ABA and kind of debunk what what the face of ABA is right now um, and make it a lot more diverse and inclusive and we have so many different things um, that we offer in different trainings, conference opportunities, um, CEUs, everything. I don't think there's anything that we haven't thought of that we, <laughs> we don't have in the works. You know, yeah. we, have a, we have a lot of things in the works um, and hopefully I'll be able to share that with you guys here soon. I've been loving, I joined as a member when you all, did like I think did you have a membership driver did I just randomly join it yeah so we have um, membership discounts quarterly yeah. so right at the beginning of our new membership year I think that's when you join and it just so happened that our membership year is up in June and then all that stuff happened yeah. in June. <laughs> so that was like a coincidence it was not like it wasn't something that we were trying to capitalize on um we've been hearing that a lot that you know Baba was just trying to capitalize on the time and I was like no Wow. Well, that's unfortunate. Um, I joined, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't think I would have joined otherwise simply because I didn't know when I saw Baba form initially out of like the uncomfortable group, I think is where some of the initial like conversation came up. I did think it was for black applied behavior analyst only. So I was like, well, that's, that's their space. I'm not, I'm not supposed to join that. So, um, that was like from an, uh, Oh, I guess, educational side, it was helpful to see and learn more about, um, you know, 
different opportunities. And I've absolutely loved the different resources, like you said, the different CE events, but also like on your website, it talks more about the membership benefits. And like, I don't think I know of an organization that has so many things, especially that's like newer. It's only been around for a few years, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, we're like a good two years old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm amazed at how much you all have like put together so quickly. Thank you. And I, and I love to hear that from you because you don't identify as black. And I want to know, like, what are we, you know, doing for those that don't identify as black and how helpful are we being? Um, so if anyone is not a black person in Baba, please reach out to me and let me know. Give me some feedback. Um, there's different things that we definitely want to do for those who don't identify as black and, um, like just making them feel comfortable to discuss and have a safe space. Um, Speaking of, I just have to shout out the do better journal club was (laughs) amazing. Um, Stephanie Bolden and you, Megan um, did it. Every month I will be there. Great. (laughs) (laughs) It was so great. Um, So for those of you who aren't on the Do Better Journal Club, you need to be because you're missing out on just a great conversation and something that is needed in our field. And they created such a comfortable and safe space. Um, I will be there every month. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, we and we have the, the meetings are the second Thursday of every month. We tried to have like a consistent time so people could just put it in their calendar from 7 to 8 p.m. And the Zoom link, um, I didn't do it for this time. I should probably do that. I'll set it up for the future ones to just repeat. So when you register once, you just get that. You can get that in your calendar mm-hmm. and go. So I'll include that information in the show notes as well. I can't even like, I don't even have words for how incredible it's been to work with Stephanie and have the opportunity to, um, make these things happen. Um, she, she had that idea for the journal club when on Juneteenth, when the BA for BIPOC event happened. And I was like, yes, this definitely needs to be a thing. Um, so I'm so excited because sometimes, you know, we're all so busy and we talk about doing something and then it never happens. It never so, um, it's, it's great not just to have the opportunity to work with her, but also, um, to be with someone who is just as passionate about, um, getting stuff out there and, and making it happen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So anybody who doesn't know about Stephanie Bolden, you need to know about Stephanie Bolden. <laughs> you listen to this podcast or it's in that do better group. You better know about Stephanie Bolden. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think um, we've talked about a lot. We went we went in a lot of different directions. So we, we've almost hit our two-hour mark, which is typically where we go with our long podcast episodes. So, um, it was such a pleasure to, to learn more from you today, Adrian. And I hope, um, I, I don't know if you're planning on going to ABAI, but if it's in person, I hope to see you there. And if not, hopefully... At, yeah, they, um, and they invited us to... Oh, great. A panel. Um, so we will be at ABAI. And if ABAI is in person, then Baba will be in person. So, yeah, so hopefully I'll get to see yeah. you at both of those, but I doubt it will be before then in person. So. <laughs> right, not before then. We were talking um, 
And I was like, okay, are we going to be the first in-person conference pre-COVID or post-COVID <laughs> or what? And I'm like, no, let's let ABAI do that. <laughs> it's in We're San Francisco like, this year. I've never been there. I'm, I really yeah. hope it's in person. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really, I really do hope so too. But either way, the BABA conference will happen. And um, a little birdie told me that we will have registration open for that conference soon as well. Yay. So um, people, people can, can get those tickets and it's limited capacity in person because the venue, we just weren't expecting it all. It's just been such right. a world of a year. <laughs> um, like a little 200 person conference, you know, no, <laughs> like, what were you thinking? Um, so definitely want to encourage people to register sooner than later. Um, cause either way it's going to happen, whether it's virtual or in person. So. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and sign off for today. Uh, Joe, do you want to close us out? Yeah. So like, uh, thank you again, Adrian, for, um, you know, being with us and, um, talking more about parent training and all the great stuff that you're doing and all the learning opportunities you're providing BCBAs out there. So, um, with that being said, go forth and do better. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.